There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews. How are you all? Are you okay? I am well, although the scales are not helping at the moment. Every time I stand on them lately, they seem to be giving me an answer I find quite unacceptable. To the point where I really do think that they're they're faulty. It's funny, if, if in the dim, distant past, they were to give me a reading that was really low, I'd be like, I'm all over that. Fantastic. And if I'd get a reading that was really, really high, I'd be saying, there's definitely a problem with these scales. Something is wrong. Anyway, I was listening to this podcast um, about the lockdown parenting while I've mentioned it before. Um, and they were talking about a pom-pom jar of destiny that they're using with kids as uh, a way to get kids to behave. So, If they do something good, a pom-pom is placed in this jar of of destiny. If they do something bad, it is removed. And when the jar is full, there's a a reward. Um, And I was thinking maybe I need some sort of visual impact of how badly my diet or lack of is going. So I'm thinking of having a pom-pom jar of fat on the shelf next to the scales. So every time I stand on the scales and it look and there's a number there that I don't like, I have to put a pom-pom in it. And I'm wondering if looking at, at that jar will make me think, no, I don't need chocolate today. Lettuce is absolutely everything that I need. I couldn't possibly require anything with any calories over five. Um, yeah, it's just the trouble is, it's ca- things with calories over 500 are really the ones that I'm interested in. Why isn't cucumber as exciting as chocolate? You know, it's just wrong. But anyway, there we go. Yeah, the pom-pom jar of fat, that, that's where I am today. Um, anyway, enough about me. We have got some great books to talk to you about. Let, let me tell you, we've got The Girls Are All So Nice Here by Laurie Elizabeth Flynn, Together by Luke Adam Hawker, Power Play by Tony Kent, The Boys in the Boat by Daniel James Brown and Facets of Death by Michael Stanley. So quite a few to be getting on with, quite a selection. Um, One is actually a graphic novel and reduced me to tears. So there we go. (laughs) Nice, happy start, isn't it? Um, But let's start off with The Girls Are All So Nice, because I think... um, 
there's a lot to talk about with with this book and I'm thrilled to be able to talk to Laurie as well. And what I've realised is last week I failed to do my first sentence uh, test with you that I started a few weeks ago, where with every book we read the first sentence and, and see what what we think about it. So I'm going to reinstate. Now I've remembered, <laughs> uh, even though I had a post-it note out last week. Don't forget first sentence. Guess what? I forgot. Um, but the, the first sentence for this book, The Girls Are All So Nice Here, is simple. Together we ruled. A very short, punchy sentence. Anyway, this is, this is what the blurb is. I wouldn't take back what we did, and that makes me a monster. But the world knows exactly how to make monsters out of girls who want what they can't have. Twisted, dark, compelling. Female friendships as you've never seen them before. The girls are all so nice here. Um, I just thought the title of the book alone was something that I thought, yeah, I need to read this. It just sounds dark and twisted and, you know, some mean girls. And that's exactly what this book delivers. I enjoyed reading it. If you can say enjoyed about something where... There are some nasty people in the books, um, but it, it's another one where you, you think you're seeing things one way and it turns out it's another and you think you you got a take on what happened and then it's revealed that you, you do not know. And it's the pressure that that puts on the characters and, and just how secrets come out, all sorts of things. It's just rather a good book, I think. So let's talk to Laurie now. So, Laurie, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Well, my goodness, I just I just had to talk to you because the minute I heard the title of your book, it, I just thought I have to I have to read this book. This is going to be a good one. It just caught me. Did, did the idea come to you straight away? Um, I think I, I was toying with the idea of um, having a novel set on college campus, and I knew that I wanted that setting. And the story kind of came to me just from the setting. And I don't plot my books ahead of time, so I didn't know exactly what I was going to say in the book or what was going to happen. I started out with the main character, Ambrosia, and I just kind of went from, from there and everything sort of unraveled. Um, and most I, I tend to deal with things like um, toxic friendship and different issues that women face in my books. So I'm not surprised that that was prominent here. I mean, the book really lifts the lid on what you think people are like and what they're actually like, you know, the, the truth of what what's lying underneath. Is that something that you were keen to represent? Yes, I think I really like exploring different uh, pressures and expectations on women and also, I guess, the way we judge each other and before we know each other very well a lot of the time. And the pressures, especially when starting at college, to rebrand ourselves and align ourselves with this, you know, the right friend group and portray the right image and sort of the way that colors everything else. And I, I was really keen to sort of explore that through this book. Yes, uh, I would not like to have uh, been around that that campus. I, I have to say, it's this, <laughs> it's this feeling of tension that just runs throughout throughout the book. And I was interested in how hard it is to keep that tension going and not underdo it or or overdo it. 
Yeah, I think with the college setting in particular, it really lends itself to that kind of claustrophobic creeping sense of dread because it's so insular, everything, your whole world is contained within the orbit of this campus a lot of the time for people living away from home for the first time. So I think the setting lent itself really well to that with, um, in regards to, you know, with a thriller, how much to reveal and how much to hold back. I kind of played around with the two timelines, the freshman year timeline and the reunion timeline. And I wanted to make sure I gave enough, but not too much to keep readers attention as to what happened and what was going to happen. And also to have those flashbacks inform what was happening in the present. So it took some finessing to make sure it all went together the right way, but I was pleased with how it turned out. And for me, it, it could have gone two ways. It could have gone sort of down the lines of a thriller, or it could almost have been a horror as well. You know, <laughs> how much you dial up the tension and and, and what happens. But um, yeah, I, I, I don't like books that are too scary, but it was, you know, it was, I was comfortable. You made me comfortable, but you still made me concerned. I, I, yeah. <laughs> How did you plot the story out? Well, I, I didn't. I, I, um, I just kind of started writing. Oh, <laughs> I, yeah, that's sort of how I do things, um, which is a lot of fun. I absolutely love not knowing what's going to happen next, but it's also frustrating because you don't know what's going to happen next. And then it's you have the tendency sometimes to write yourself into corners and not know what's ha happening and to kind of have that block. But I always sort of just keep writing through it. And I'll be honest, I end up with a lot of material that doesn't make it into the final book, but it all helped to inform the story. So I, I regret none of it, but I always feel like if I can surprise myself, I can also hopefully surprise a reader. So I love those revelations as I'm writing where I realize that, oh, I just surprised myself with what happens next or what this person did and that I kind of creep myself out a little bit maybe, or feel just, wow, I can't believe that happened. And I'm, I'm hoping that that also kind of plays into the suspense for, for the reader. And I can, I can sort of surprise people that way. And so were you one of the author, one of those authors where the characters sort of take over and that they're so real for you that, that they're the ones that you feel are, are running the story? Oh, definitely. They 100% run the story. Once they're once they start taking shape on the page, and they they totally have minds of their own in in my universe. So they they definitely inform what's going to happen next. I might have an idea in my head of something I think might happen, but then the characters might take it a different way, or it just suddenly doesn't feel right, and I go a totally different direction. So I definitely feel like once those characters have been given life, they have their own agency and their own agenda. <laughs> so did you know how it was going to end? Obviously we're not giving anything away, but did was that something that you did know? Did you know the destination or was that a surprise to you as well? That was a surprise. I didn't know the destination. Oh. I kind of just went into this book completely blind. I did not know what was going to happen. Um, but as I was writing the ending, I I felt like it was perfect. So I was like, I know this is the way this book has to wrap up. And I think it was just my instincts telling me that. And I think um, when you're not plotting a book and you're sort of just writing and having it unravel as you go, you really have to trust your subconscious to 
you know, that things are going where they, they should be going for a reason. And that's the, the hardest part of the process is to trust your subconscious, trust your instincts, even when it gets messy and, and you're in that state where, you know, you're like, oh, I don't even know if this is good anymore. I don't know where it's going. It's a big mess. But I think once you trust your, your instincts, that gets clearer as you get to the end. And by the time I was at the end of this book with this ending, I said, this is definitely right. So <laughs> But that's that's amazing because um, if you're not a plotter to be running the two time frames um, as well as you've you've done, that takes some focus when you are writing, when you are letting the words come. Oh, definitely. I well, with this in the case of this book, I actually wrote the two timelines separately, which helped a lot because I mm -hmm. I tried to write them concurrently and it just wasn't working for me. I was just getting out of a state of flow and I was just feeling disjointed. So I, I actually wrote the, the um, freshman year timelines, timeline first and then I wrote the reunion timeline uh, next. And I feel like that really helped because doing getting to know the characters in the past tense first really helped me know who they would become in the present. So by the time I wrote that present tense timeline, I felt like I had spent a lot of time with them already. Yes, that makes a lot of sense because it, it was written so well. It's just interesting as a reader, you imagine that it has been written, you know, exactly as it's presented, just like watching a film, you imagine it's been filmed in that order and it, it doesn't have to be, it's, it's what makes the components of the book stronger I suppose so uh, was that a trick that you'd learned somewhere else or was that just how it felt natural to you to write this book um that's how it felt natural for this book I've, I've sort of realized that every book is different and um I've written um some young adult novels as well I have three young adult novels published and I think what I've learned is that writing really doesn't get easier it just each book has a different process and you just have to trust the process and what does get easier for me is trusting my instincts and my subconscious. So um, in past books, you know, I've, I always try to write in a linear fashion, but I've, I've realized with this one, it just wasn't going to work. I had to do one timeline than the other. And I think letting go of that notion that you have to write a certain way is just so liberating and helps you to unlock more creativity. At least for me, it gave my, me permission to you know, not have to have this perfect first draft, but to get everything out there, all the raw materials out on the page and then know that I could, it, revision would, would fix it and I could fuse the, the timelines together and figure out what wasn't working uh, at, after that point. So was it an easy book to write? I wouldn't say it was easy. I think with every book, you look back and, and realize how much fun it was. But when you're in the moment, sometimes it's it's not quite so fun. It's always pain of the it's, art. Yeah, it's easier to look back and be like, well, that was wonderful. But I remember like being there being times when I was writing this book, not knowing what was going to happen next, where I genuinely wasn't sure if I was going to finish it. I, I remember just being like, oh, this is frustrating. I don't know what's going to happen. And I was getting sidetracked with brand new ideas that always come to me when I'm in the throes of drafting and in that saggy middle area where I'm frustrated and don't know I'm not at the end yet and that's when I always get sidelined by brand new shiny ideas in my brain that haven't been ruined yet so I think part of the challenge for me was just I was totally committed I, was, I said I have to finish this book um, I know it's something special I know it's gonna be something if I can finish it and I think it's letting go in your head of the story that 
is only exists in your brain that you want to tell. And I think sometimes it can be intimidating if when it starts to come out on paper, it's a little different than in your head, but just sort of realizing that there's no right and wrong way to write that story and that, you know, you're not doing, nobody can write the story, but you. So that's sort of what I, what yeah. I told myself. And what a story it is. I mean, it's sold around the world. You've sold TV rights. Do you, do you feel like you've made it now? Is this, is this it? Are you going off to retire into the sun? <laughs> <laughs> well I, it's certainly surreal I'm like I'm just absolutely thrilled and sometimes I look back at the past couple of years and I'm just like wow I can't believe that that this is my life it's it's amazing it's beyond what I ever could have imagined but that said there's always there's always something new to strive for and I think um that's that's life and that's ambition is always you always want want something else and you keep challenging yourself and for me I think the focus is always just on writing the next book and the next, making it even even better and challenging myself with with what I can control, which is the the writing itself. And with all the different countries that the book's being published in, of course, you, then you get the different covers as well, and that must be fascinating as an author because each cover represents perhaps a different element of the story. I love it. I think it's it's one of my favorite things, just seeing that how different people interpret the book and how different teams around the world might interpret that that cover. And just I just think it's it's so cool. Definitely one of my favorite parts of being an author. So much fun. And you mentioned about the YA novels that you've written, and and I wanted to ask about that. It, apart from the age of the protagonist, are there major differences to writing a YA and and this type of book? I think for me, the biggest difference is my YA novels feel very immediate. It's all taking place in the same timeline where you're a teenage character, everything feels very immediate and there's no chance to reflect on your actions and have that hindsight where in this book, one of the timelines, Ambrosia is 18 and in one of them, she's 31. So she has that distance to be able to look back. And I think that for me, was the biggest just um, the biggest difference and the biggest thing that made this a, um, an adult novel instead of a YA novel. And did you know from the minute you'd finished it that this was something quite special? I think I remember printing the first ever draft of this book and it was extremely long and I knew it needed a lot of work uh, but I remember holding the pages and starting to put them in little piles around my floor so that I could start putting the two timelines together. And I remember thinking that I felt very confident about the book and that I felt like it was special and that, you know, I, I had good, I had hopes for it, but um, that said, I still recognize the amount of work that had to be done, but I, I was really proud of, of getting it, that draft out and on paper. And I definitely had a good feeling about it, I'd say. So how did you get your first book published? Um, like my first young adult book. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I actually entered a contest called Pitch Wars on, that I found on Twitter. And it's um, an amazing contest. And I got, I worked, was able to work with a mentor and who helped me revise the book. And that was sort of my introduction to revising at that point in time. I, this was uh, back in 2013. So it was, I hadn't been writing toward publication for that long but I had 
I had, I had already written two books that I queried and didn't get an agent with, and they were good learning experience, but I didn't really know how to revise. So Pitch Wars really helped me revise. And I afterward got an agent um, through querying and um, we sent the, my first young adult novel on submission. And that's how um, that one got a, a book deal. That, that book came out in 2016. And then I had another young adult book come out in 2019 and then 2020. So my goal is to keep writing young adult as well as adult fiction. So I really enjoy both spaces. And I think it's, I like being able to sort of escape one with the other. Yeah. <laughs> so if I'm it's yeah. having a couple of projects to juggle at once is, is sort of my happy place. And so when you come up with an idea, do you look at it and think, well, how is this going to work best? Is it, would it work better in the YA sort of present um, sort of a, a younger person um, as the main character or would it be for the older market? How do you decide that? I feel like just trusting my instincts and it's usually pretty obvious to me if, if it's because if the narrator is going to have like if I'm doing a dual timeline and if one of them is an adult then I'm then the book's automatically going to be an adult um, novel but if it if I feel like it's the book's going to be stronger just focusing on one timeline and just having that teenage voice then it's definitely going to be a, a YA I feel like a lot of it comes down to the voice of the character and um, you know if it is in that immediate headspace then it's definitely better suited for young adult. Oh, that's just wonderful I love the, the idea every author has their journey and you, you've certainly been on yours. Is there anything that still surprises you about the publishing world? Oh, I think it's all, everything. <laughs> I feel like I'm always learning new things and um, getting to know the industry more and how it works. And I think that's part of the fun is just this whole, this job, this career of being an author is constantly surprising and evolving. And I think that's what makes it fun. And that's one of the things I I love about it. And um, I think for me though, it always comes back to, I have to focus on what I can control, which is the the writing itself and um, working on the next book. So that's always, if I start to feel stressed out or something like that, um, that's always how I ground myself. Well, that's fantastic. And, a, and it is a fantastic book and I can't wait to, to see what you write next. Laurie, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been brilliant. Thank you so much for having me. Well, wasn't that interesting? My goodness. So that was The Girls Are Also Nice here by Laurie Elizabeth Flynn. Now, the next book is the one that reduced me to tears. I'll just move my list over here. And it's called Together by Luke Adam Hawker. Now, I don't know where I first saw this book mentioned, but it must have it must have been something special because straight away it went on my I need to acquire this immediately list. Um, it's it's a book about lockdown. Um, well, let's read the let's read the blurb. Um, a monumental storm brings huge and sudden change. We follow a man and his dog through the uncertainty that it brings to their lives. Through their eyes, we see the difficulties of being apart, the roller coaster of emotions that we can all relate to, and the realization that by pulling together, we can move through difficult times with new perspective, hope and an appreciation of what matters most in life. That's lovely, isn't it? And it is a lovely book. It's not, it's not, well, it is sad. It's, it, well, okay. This is, um, this is the first, the first line. 
life can seem like a machine in constant motion. Um, and I suppose that just shows where the book starts at, that, it, you know, before COVID really struck us, before we started going into lockdown, we were just on the, the roller coaster of normal life, um, the wheel of life, just keeping busy, keeping going. And it talks about the lockdown and COVID and everything as a storm. And that's drawn in the pictures as well, because on every page there are the most beautiful, beautiful drawings. And when I say graphic novel, is it? I don't know. It's it's more, it's, um, you'll know the Charlie Maxey book. Um, well, it, it's like that. This isn't one for children I would say I think it's more for adults well, maybe all ages but it it's certain it's not a children's book and I think you can read it and different people will take different things from it for me it just made me stop and think about what we've been going through that everything we're, we're sort of normalized we're sort of accepting now of of, of this situation and yet 12 months ago, it was all new and super scary. And in a way, we were, I think I was um, seeing it more clearly for what it was a year ago. Whereas now, just like, oh, locked inside the house, not able to see friends and family. That's that's absolutely fine. Right. What what chocolate biscuit am I going to have today? Maybe my diet will improve when, I, when I'm allowed out. So... The conclusion of the book is lovely and life affirming and warming. And that's probably what made me so upset that it's just, gosh, the effects, uh, the effect that of this awful um, virus and the oh, what makes us human, how we cope with it. It's, it's just a good book. It's one. Look, if it was Christmas this week, uh, this is what everyone would be getting wrapped up. The pictures are exquisite. The words are brilliant. Um, and it's one that I will hold on to. And I think it's one that you would show people in 20 years time and they'd just be like, what is that? You know, I can't remember all of that. Well, hopefully they can't remember uh, it because hopefully we've we've moved on significantly from then um for the better I should add. oh my goodness I'm really taking a turn with this with this episode aren't I um but it, it's what it'll turn into a history book is what I'm trying to say but very badly it, it's really good it's an excellent book um so there we go uh, together by Luke Adam Hawker. Just go and buy it, but also buy yourself um, a box of tissues to weep your eyes out about it in a good way. So the next book is by Tony Kent, and this is called Power Play. Um, here's the blurb. When controversial... Oh, see, here's the blurb. Can't even speak. Shall I try again? Let's have a go. When controversial US presidential candidate Dale Victor is killed in a plane explosion, along with hundreds of other passengers, it appears to be a clear-cut case of terrorism. But as criminal barrister Michael Devlin and intelligence agent Joe Dempsey are about to discover, all is not as it seems. As the evidence begins to mount, everything appears to point to the very top of the US government. And now someone is determined to stop Dempsey and Devlin from discovering the truth at any cost. Together, they must find a way to prove who's really pulling the strings and free the White House from the deadly grip that has taken hold of its power. Um, so let's go to the first sentence for this one. 
Um, David Webb and Jim Nelson turned their heads at the sound of four knocks. See, that's good. That's got you straight into someone's knocking at the door. Something's going on. What's happening? This is this is the book that that James Patterson's book should be, but lately I don't think aren't as aren't as good. Um, I I really enjoyed this one. Okay, yes, you need to be into sort of thrillers, governments. Um, you know, are things as they appear to be. But so many of us are. And it's not a type of book I would frequently pick up, but I really enjoyed it. I thought the writing was genuine. You had the characters coming through, which I really enjoy. And that made me uh, like the book even more. Um, you've got the highs, the lows. You're just, oh, wishing some of the characters are OK and thinking others need to get their comeuppance. And uh, yeah, I just thought it was it was great. The tagline is good as well. The enemies aren't at the gate. They're already inside. Um, I've also listened to some of the audio narration for this, and that's done very, very well uh, as well. Um, it's just it's a good book. If you like sort of thrillers, as I say, political, it's not it's not spy, but it's just if you like that kind of one, you know what I mean. If you like that kind of one, you should get this because I thought it was uh, excellent. And I'll certainly be reading more of Tony Kent's books. Um, absolutely superb. Power Play by Tony Kent. We're getting through these very well, aren't we? So the next one is uh, Facets of Death by Michael Stanley. And actually, Michael Stanley are two authors coming together um, uh, to, to write this. So this is part of a series of books, the Detective Kubu series. Um, but honestly, you don't need to have read any of them before. You can just drop into any book like this one and um, and feel comfortable with it. It's uh, primarily based in um, South Africa and Botswana, and uh, that comes through with almost every word. So the blurb is this. Recruited straight from university to Botswana's CID, David Kubu Bengu has raised his colleague's suspicion with his meteoric rise within the department, and he has a lot to prove. When the richest diamond mine in the world is robbed of a 100,000 carats worth of gems, and then the thieves are killed execution style, Kabu leaps at the chance to prove himself. But where are the diamonds? And what role do a witch doctor and his son play? Does this young detective have the skill and integrity to engineer an international trap? Or could it cost him everything, including his life? Duh, duh, duh. So let's get on to the first sentence. Oh, it's a longer one. We've got a longer sentence. Are you sitting comfortably? The early morning sun promised a scorcher of a day and David Kubu-Bengu's clothes were already damp with sweat, not unusual for a man of his size in a hot climate. Again, I just love these first sentences because it's amazing what uh, so few words can paint a picture of. You know, with all, already with that one, we've got to know the character. Uh, we know more about him than we did. Um, and we're already intrigued. Well, I, I certainly was. I really enjoyed this. I think there are a great team of writers um, that that produce this. I think it's always interesting when you uh, come across two two writers who publish as one. Um, and I think they're they're great books. If you like stories as well, based in Botswana, then this is one. Um, they're meaty subjects. They're done well. Um, uh, yes, excellent. 
so from the heart of Botswana comes a deliciously dark thriller. So there you go. A deliciously dark thriller. From a deliciously dark thriller to a, oh my goodness, I couldn't read this. <laughs> so there we go. The Boys in the Boat by Daniel James Brown. Now, I really want to read this book. This book was chosen by one of the book clubs that I'm a member of. And when we met to talk about it, everybody loved it. The lowest rating out of 10 it was was given was, um, was an 8. And quite a few people were giving it 10 out of 10. That's quite punchy for our book, our book group. Uh, not many books have, have got this. And... Twice I sat down to read this book because I hate going to a book club meeting, even if it's online and not having read the book, because I like to talk. And if I haven't read the book, I just need to sit there and listen. And it was so interesting to listen to what everyone else was saying. Um, but I yeah. So twice I tried to read this book and twice I'd failed. The only page I had read properly was the cover. That's how bad this was. Um, I think in my defence, um, even though it's only, what, about 400 pages, something like that. Yeah, 400 pages. The font is so small, it's really a six, 700 pager at least, if not 800, I would say. Um, and it's non-fiction and it's quite a serious book. Uh, and because I need to read so many for, for this podcast, understandably, I think it's one that would have taken me so long I'd have got behind on the podcast. And I think that's what was really worrying me. So it, it clearly is an amazing book. Let, let's read the, the blurb. Abandoned by his family and left to fend for himself in the woods of Washington state, young Joe Rance turned to rowing as a way of escaping his past. What follows is an extraordinary journey as Joe and eight other working class boys exchange the sweat and dust of life in 1930s America for the promise of glory at the heart of Hitler's Berlin. Told against the backdrop of the Great Depression, The Boys in the Boat is narrative non-fiction of the First Order. Uh, so clearly you learn a lot reading this. It's enlightening. It's um, educational. It's, it's all of these things. And I just couldn't get into it. Um, entirely my fault. Everybody loved it. So if that's something that if you think, oh, that does sound interesting or good present for some people who are interested in the, in nonfiction, then it really could be a book. Because as I say, there wasn't one person that didn't like it. It was just me being being difficult. Let's uh, let's read the first. Do I read the first sentence of that? No, let's read the first uh sentence of chapter one. Monday, October 9th, 1933, began as a grey day in Seattle, a grey day in a grey time. So there we go. I think yes, it just it was a grey book for me and I just couldn't get into it. Uh, I, I need the time to read it. And I'm probably going to hold on to it because it's irritating me that I didn't and that I've missed out on something special. But there we go. There we go. Hands up. My fault. So that's The Boys in the Boat by Daniel James Brown. I think we've covered a lot now. So let's just do a quick recap. Uh, we've got The Girls Are Also Nice Here by Laurie Elizabeth Flynn. Together by Luke Adam Hawker. Power Play by Tony Kent. Uh, Facets of Death by Michael Stanley and The Boys in the Boat by Daniel James Brown. Now, next week, we've got a big one next week. I am 
uh, knee deep, shall we say, in reading 10 books for next week because we've got the uh, Booksellers YA 10 finalists. And I thought it'd be great to read those and give you my thoughts and uh, probably tell you the top five and have a bit of a, a, an order. So see who comes first. There's some, there's some interesting books and there's some really good books so far but there's a, there's a lot more reading that I need to do uh, not going to be much sleeping done this week I think to get that done um, but uh, yeah and we've got a really interesting interview we're going to be talking to um, one of the people that run this Faber course now you may have heard I'm sure you've heard many times authors on this podcast talking about how they did a course with Faber um, before they got their book published published and so I thought well we've heard about this so many times let's get Faber on and hear what makes them so special so I'm really interested in talking to them finding out more about their courses and then I think we all need to sign ourselves up and uh, and have a lovely time but enough about me this week you need to get on I need to leave you be and I really look forward to talking to you again next week so take care everyone bye bye listening to the quick book reviews podcast that's enough books said no one ever See you again soon. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.